Hello and welcome to Sermons from First Press, a weekly podcast from the First Presbyterian Church of Ann Arbor, Michigan. I read from Galatians, the fifth chapter. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. For you are called to freedom. You're called to freedom, brothers and sisters, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. But through love, become slaves to one another. For, for the whole law is summed up in a single commandment. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. If, however, you bite and devour one another, take care that you do not be consumed by one another. Live by the Spirit, I say, and do not gratify the desires of the flesh. For what the flesh desires is opposed to the spirit, and what the spirit desires is opposed to the flesh. For these are opposed to each other, to prevent you from doing what you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not subject to the law. Now the works of the flesh are obvious. Fornication, impurity, licentiousness, idolatry, sorcery, enmities, strife, jealousy anger, quarrels, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness and carousing, and things like these. I am warning you, as I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. By contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against such things. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also be guided by the Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. The gospel reading for today comes from the Gospel of Luke. It is from the ninth chapter. Hear now the word of God. As the time approached when Jesus was to be taken up to heaven, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. He sent messengers on ahead of him. Along the way, they entered a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival, but the Samaritan villagers refused to welcome him because he was determined to go to Jerusalem. When the disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to consume them? But Jesus turned and spoke sternly to them, and he went on to another village. As Jesus and his disciples traveled along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, Foxes have dens, and the birds in the sky have nests. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then Jesus said to someone else, follow me. He replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and spread the news of God's kingdom. 
Someone else said to Jesus, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those in my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts a hand on the plow and looks back is fit for God's kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The late Tom Petty was as much a poet as a singer, and his music defined a generation. When I left for seminary, when I left seminary in 1994, as I tried to figure out where God was guiding me, I often listened to the simple lyrics of Petty's song, Wildflowers, a song that he said came easily and right from his heart in just one sitting. And I thought perhaps if I listened to it, maybe a decision about where to go next would come easily and right from my heart in one sitting too. You belong among the wildflowers, he sang, or in a boat out at sea. You belong with love on your arm. You belong somewhere you feel free, far away from your trouble and worry. You belong somewhere you feel free. I took Tom Petty to mean that we thrive in a place where we can be ourselves, And I took his words to heart. His message wasn't gospel, and he was no Apostle Paul, but something in his simple eloquence resonated with me. I belonged with people who accepted me and allowed me to be myself. And of the possibilities, of course, I chose Ann Arbor. Petty was right. A sense of belonging is one of the things that draws us here every Sunday, along with the feeling that we are accepted. Throughout the year, we invite regular attenders and guests of First Press to formally join, and we say to them in that invitation, you already belong. And whether you feel that or not, we mean it. When this church is at its best, Together, we create a culture of compassion, care, and acceptance that embraces you in a feeling of belonging. Still, our hope is that you will express commitment to join up and sign on the dotted line, and not merely so that you will be known and active in the faith. You are free to participate in almost everything we do without formal membership. But in Presbyterian polity, members have power. Members have rights and privileges including voice and vote in meetings. Members make a promise, a commitment to contribute and share your gifts, to try to open your hearts and to be vulnerable and to choose this as the place you want to grow. You already belong. Joining should serve to deepen your sense of belonging. You are free to be you, accepted here, and free to embrace this belonging if you choose. Now, this is significant because in too many churches and religions, belonging happens last. In those churches, the sequence of membership goes like this, believe, behave, belong. First, you say you believe the right things. Then you behave in a way that meets the expectations of that particular church or faithful living. Only then can you belong Baptism might only be for adult believers who have proven knowledge and readiness and worth. First Pres is different. Our sequence goes like this. Belong, believe, become. Belonging comes first. We all belong to God. We belong to one another. We are called to be here, even baptized babies with no faith and toddlers testing the faith of their parents. 
we serve and live and share together as we encounter Christ in worship, as He confronts us in the Word, as we commune together in service and at sacrament, we grow to a stronger faith in Christ. We come to know and believe truth and live more comfortably with doubt. It is not always pretty. But by grace, we become more and more into the image of Him who loved us enough to die for us. We aren't here to act like Christians or even imitate Christ, even though we try. We are here to inhabit our full identity as the beloved people of God in Christ, to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself, as best we know how, with integrity. It's all that easy, and it's all that hard. So if you are struggling to believe or searching for who you are supposed to become, you have a place here. There are others just like you. You belong somewhere you feel free, according to the Gospel of Tom Petty, in this particular patch of beautiful wildflowers, not free-falling through church after church, wondering where you fit in. Well, this summer we are looking not just at what it means to belong, but also what it means to be beloved drawing from stories of belonging, believing, and becoming, we hope to find a deeper and wider knowledge of just how precious we are to the Lord. Such knowledge can change our lives. We are asking ourselves, what makes us feel beloved? What helps us feel that we belong? And the harder question, what does not and we can share those things together on this journey of faith, can we not, so that we might become something more? Our primary summer book read selection is Life of the Beloved by Henry Nouwen, in addition to two other great texts that the staff has selected by Rachel Held Evans and Bob Goff. Nouwen challenges us to know and inhabit and live that we are beloved to God. He writes, the spiritual life is not just a way of being, but a way of becoming. Becoming the beloved, letting the truth of our belovedness become enfleshed in everything we think and say and do. Belovedness must be pinpointed in our very concrete daily lives. You see, now in story, together with our stories, tell us that when we know we are beloved, we are free to be who Christ has made us to be. We are free to live out our faith in ways that matter. Beloved to Christ, we are also beloved to one another. And in our concrete daily lives, in what we think and do and say, we belong to one another. Our freedom to think, to feel, to express ourselves, to take up causes, to reflect Christ in how we daily live, it's all tied to belonging I've been thinking about both of these things, freedom and belonging, this week, and not just because my neighbors have started lighting up their Fourth of July fireworks early in the field behind my house, sending my dogs off to hide and shake under the bed where they don't belong. <laughs> freedom and belonging is at the center of so much that is before us as a nation overwhelmed with the desperation of people from other countries who want our freedoms for themselves, who say that their survival depends on being accepted here. 
there is a human tragedy happening at the border as the masses are trying to get in. The haunting image of Oscar Alberto Martinez Ramirez and his 23-month-old daughter Valeria lying down with her arm around her dad on the muddy bank of the Rio Grande is deeply upsetting. That photo both captured and crystallized this urgency and this desperation. Concerns grow daily about the treatment of refugees, especially children, at our nation's border facilities. As Christians, we cannot escape it. We are called to confront it, to understand the origin of this crisis. People yearn to be free. They yearn for a better life. They yearn for safety. They yearn to be somewhere they can belong. Now, regardless of our particular politics on immigration, our brothers and sisters are hurting, and we are witnesses to that desperation, their mistreatment, and their abuse. These men, women, and children are beloved to God, but they too belong to us. How are you and I to respond? What does the church have to say about any of it? I've also been thinking about freedom and belonging because I joined the 23 million people who watch the acclaimed Netflix series, When They See Us, Ava DuVarnay's masterful four-part series. Kevin, Antron, Raymond, Corey, and Yusuf, long known as the Central Park Five, didn't even know each other when they were swept into a pack of boys of color running through Central Park one spring evening. Four of the five were under the age of 16. One was just 16. These innocent children were falsely accused, their confessions were coerced and recorded without their parents or a lawyer present, and their freedoms, their childhoods, their innocence was ripped away. By the time the perpetrator was identified 13 years later, they'd lost so much freedom and dignity and opportunity. You can't watch the show without weeping. Regardless of our particular politics on race and poverty, her masterful retelling convicts us. These boys are our sons. They belong to us. And their abuse exposes what happens when the beloved people of God are not free, when they are targeted and profiled for race or gender identity or sexual identity, not accepted, not free to belong. In our concrete daily lives, how are you and I to respond? What does the church have to say about any of it? Karl Barth urged, we must hold the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other. And in one hand, we have today's lectionary passages through which we ask these questions of the church, the church that is beloved and belong and free. Paul writes to the church in Galatia, and to us, inviting us to one kind of freedom, freedom from the law. We are unbound to the old rules of religion so that we can live Christ's love. Love is the way, and freedom in Christ expresses itself through radical loving service, untethered to old rules and roles and any pagan practice. Christ has freed us to let the Spirit work in us and in our communities so that we grow and thrive in a church where the Spirit is alive and can flow out of us and become alive in the world. That's what these red banners are for, to remind us. 
Paul turns them and us towards that power so that as a community and as individuals, the Spirit would direct our decisions and our relationships and shape our core identity as a church. Freed to do the work of the Holy Spirit, we are also free to be self-serving, to harm others, to dominate or distort the work of the Spirit. Because we are free, we can either choose self-centered living in the flesh or God-centered living in the Spirit. Amber Scora left the Jehovah's Witness faith and just wrote a book about it, Leaving the Witness, subtitled Exiting a Religion and Finding a Life. Amber's former faith was all about believing and behaving, and without a strict adherence to those two, there could be no belonging. It was not about freedom. She described her years in the religion this way, the years of a witness are spent in a life that does not flow, but only ebbs in righteous monotony into its own reality, and that does not proceed from conscious choices, but rather in obedience, in neutral conversation, in not missing a meeting, in continual unquestioning study, and by turning in a report that proves your service was sufficient. Regularity breeds conformance and satisfaction and allegiance through rigorousness. The constraints of this sort of life go largely unnoticed. It's the most natural life to someone who's been taught that this is the only way to live. Paul teaches us something different. The Spirit gives us love. The Spirit gives us a sense of belonging. In our church and culture, our faith means we are free to choose how to love others Steve Matson wrote in Christian Century this week that in Paul, Christ's perfect freedom engages us in a call. And that call carries obligations to neighbor as well as to God to invest ourselves in the community of faith, to put up with the sandpaper of fellow congregations' wearisome ways against the rough edges of our own unholiness. A call that compels us to exist in community with openness and generosity, that our neighbor's well-being is part and parcel of our own. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Our second reading from the Gospel of Luke appears on the surface to contradict Paul's words of inclusive belonging and the rightness of being in relationships. In a way, Jesus seems to turn Amber Scora's title on its head. He appears to be throwing off the importance of relationships, discarding the centrality of love of our neighbors, asking us to exit our lives to find our religion. His words seem to be freeing us from obligations of human connectedness and belonging, and Jesus comes off as harsh and cold and, frankly, kind of cranky. Let the dead bury their dead. What? Now, the timing matters. This is the transition point in the Gospel of Luke. You know by these words, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. The focus is now on what is to come. Rejection, the road to Jerusalem, the road to Golgotha. They must sit up and set their faces on that too. And going that direction, he knows they are not prepared. He's worried. He wants them to grasp what they have signed up for. And perhaps his words are meant to shock them, to bring them into this new phase of the journey, to go after what is most central to them, 
their relationships, their connectedness as people, that very sense of belonging. He's not saying relationships are unimportant. He's saying that in the light of a relationship with him, belonging will feel different. Called to set their lives on him, to belong to him comes first and sets everything else in context. Paul and Jesus both make the point that we are freed from the old ways and freed for something new, something life-changing, something alive. Now, these texts in one hand and the cultural debates on immigration and racial divides, our broken criminal justice system, religious oppression, they remind us that we first belong to Christ who shows us how we belong to one another We may disagree on any current issue, cause and solution, but we cannot stop caring about those who belong to us. As the faithful, as a church, as a denomination, we must step up and step into these difficult issues, putting party loyalty aside to pursue the consistent claims of the Christian message as said again and again and again in the Scriptures. We are not freed for self-indulgence, Paul said, nor are we given life for ourselves. I don't know what we should do any more than you do, but I just know that we must care. Care about it all and take care of the people who belong to us. As one theologian wrote, for people claiming the faith of Christ, showing love and compassion to immigrants, or those who are marginalized and mistreated, no matter their status, it is a requirement of following Jesus. There is no alternative. Our stance toward these people directly reflects our stance towards God. Because when immigrants and prisoners are the victims of xenophobia, racism, and political rhetoric, it's up to the followers of Jesus to be their most fervent defenders and to love them as Jesus did and does. See, to be a Christian is to be Christ-like to the least among us. Christ-like. Padraig Otuma writes in his new autobiography in The Shelter, to have turned away from everything to one face is to find oneself face to face with everything. Christianity hopes that God turned toward each life in the body of a child, and Christians hope that we turn towards God and turning towards Jesus, and in doing so, we turn toward each other. Friends, we are set free in Christ from the demands of world, the world, and the the laws of religion. We are made free for love of everyone, no exceptions. We are free from relationships and roles which would define or consume or claim us. We may freely choose them, but we belong to Christ, the one relationship that changes everything. That's what makes us beloved. And in that, we all do belong. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information, visit us on the web at www.firstpresbyterian.org or send an email to info at firstpresbyterian.org. See you next week for another sermon from First Press.